This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And liftoff. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg. Grab a stool and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Uh, our panel tonight, standing by media scientist Nelson Thal and the publisher, editor of World Affairs Brief, uh, Joel Skousen. Uh, we'll uh, go deep on the deep state and the Seth Rich murder. We keep hammering away uh, at that, our continuing coverage. Uh, plus, this, uh, this week, President Trump, U.S. President Trump, pulled out of the Paris Climate Accord, and we'll get reaction from uh, author uh, commentator Dan Perkins on that. Our weekly remote viewing experiment, What's in the Box? And uh, we are nicely into deer tick season, Lyme disease season. And Dr. Cass Ingram will be here to talk about natural ways uh, to combat this horrible disease, which may be reaching epidemic proportions throughout North America. A second hour, of course, open lines. And then uh, Dr. Stephen Greer along with Victor Vigiani on Dr. Greer's new documentary, Unacknowledged, and his upcoming appearance at the Alien Cosmic Expo later this month. Now, our weekly remote viewing experiment. What's in the box? Uh, To participate, you must tweet me at Richard Serrett, at Richard Serrett, S-Y-R-E-T-T. Use the hashtag TCS Remote, TCS, as in The Conspiracy Show. Uh, Only tweets using the hashtag... Uh, will be considered, and one astute remote viewer will be rewarded with some fabulous Conspiracy Show merchandise. And uh, please uh, browse our line of mugs and T-shirts and phone cases uh, online at theconspiracyshow.com. Just go to the online store, theconspiracyshow.com. And again, use the hashtag TCSremote. Now, focus your attention. Allow the, the shape and the size and the texture and the color of the object in the cigar box to my left to form in your mind. And let me give you the coordinates. Again, the contents of this cigar box sitting on my broadcasting studio here at Zoomerplex, 70 Jefferson Avenue, the Liberty Village neighborhood of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. There you go. You have the coordinates. We will do the reveal at the bottom of the hour, and good luck to you, hour 
to uh, to you all. Uh, very quickly, let me say hi to the uh, the boys in the band. Uh, sitting in for Ian Robertson uh, tonight on the Flying V Gibson guitar. My technical producer, Young Will Power. And uh, then, as always, on the Rickenbacker bass guitar and occasionally the theremin, story producer Albert Vinzel. And finally, on the Hammond B3 organ, the producer of my weekly feature, Ryan White. Ryan, welcome. All right, let's get to it. As you know, we've been uh, hammering away at uh, this for the last several weeks, the murder of DNC information techie Seth Richards and a possible link uh, to the WikiLeaks dump of thousands of DNC emails before the U.S. presidential election. And WikiLeaks founder uh, Julian Assange has all but admitted that Seth Rich, who was murdered, gunned down in a Washington neighborhood last July, uh, he has all admitted, admitted that Seth Rich is the source of those emails. Uh, the murder has not been solved, and already the, uh, the mayor of Washington has publicly stated she considers the murder to be a robbery gone wrong. Uh, despite the fact uh, police have not arrived at that conclusion officially, and uh, the victim, Seth Rich, was found with his wallet, his cell phone, and his watch. Now several hospitals in the area, supposedly, are refusing to speak to reporters and independent investigators, and police are refusing to release uh, ballistics, autopsy reports, and uh, they have not interviewed Seth Rich's co-workers, which uh, is highly unusual in a case such as this, uh, nor have they requested to view the security video at a bar which is said to be Seth Rich's last stop before he was gunned down. All, again, very unusual. Uh, what's more, of course, as we have repeatedly stated, the mainstream media has shown a shocking, an extraordinary lack of curiosity in this case, going so far as to shout down a member of the House of Representatives in the United States who during a CNN interview suggested there should be a special investigation into the Seth Rich murder. What are they afraid of? Here to discuss is media scientist and the official archivist for the late Marshall McLuhan, Nelson Thal. Nelson, good evening. Welcome. Yeah, good evening, Rich. Uh, Remember, we became spies when the media betrayed the truth. All right. And uh, the publisher and editor of World Affairs Brief, a weekly news analysis service, Joel Scows and Joel, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you, my friend? I'm just fine. It's great to be with you again, Richard. Uh, very quickly, how do people subscribe to World Affairs Brief? The website is worldaffairsbrief.com, and uh, there's a big red subscribe button on there. But before people do that, I suggest they get a free sample copy of the latest World Affairs Brief by emailing me at editor at worldaffairsbrief.com. All right, Nelson, let me start with you. Here we have a murder, uh, which has been described by the mayor before the con- you know before the investigation has barely even started or uh, or concluded. Certainly, the mayor of of Washington, uh, who is said to be um, you know a fervent supporter of the Democratic Party, she has gone on record. She has stated publicly that she's already solved this murder. She says it's a murder. It's a it's a robbery gone wrong. Then we have hospitals in the area where. There are three possible hospitals Seth Rich was said to be taken to. They are refusing now to talk to investigators other than the police, uh, or they're not talking to reporters. Again, highly unusual. Uh, And then we have the Washington police. They are being sued uh, to release information about ballistics and so forth. Have you ever, ever seen a murder investigation conducted in this way with so much secrecy? 
Yes, only in major cover-ups like the uh, RFK assassination, the JFK assassination, the MLK assassination. That's where the police suddenly clam up and refuse to do what they normally do in terms of investigative reporting. How about you, Nelson? Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, there's been a new standard modus operandi. We talked about this last week, and we basically said that what came to mind was the whole uh, Eugene Malov situation where they staged a... Uh, they staged a robbery to kill uh, to kill the guy, and he was a professor, you know, cold fusion, etc. And so, this is not a new modus operandi here. What is going on in terms of uh, the mainstream media, where even if you bring up the Seth Rich murder on, for example, CNN, you're shouted down as a conspiracy theorist? I find that very telling, Joel. Don't you? Well, it does. Yeah, the whistleblowers, the whistleblowers like Snowden and Assange. I mean, there's more and more whistleblowers coming out, and they become a threat to the Spider Lady, and got squashed. All right, Joe, have you ever seen a reaction like this to an investigation by the mainstream media? Yeah, it's uh, been seen many, many times, and it's always an indication that there's a cover-up going on and collusion with the media. For example. Rod Wheeler, the former Washington, D.C. policeman who was hired as a private investigator by the family, first of all said there is computer evidence that uh, Seth Rich had talked to uh, or was communicating with WikiLeaks. However, he had to retract that when uh, they asked for proof, and he had to admit that the computer is in the hands of the D.C. police, and they have blocked access now. But he got the information from friends in the police force saying, yes, there's conversations on there with WikiLeaks and Seth Rich, but he can't prove it now because the source is within the police department. But he did say this. He said, I have the source in the police department that has looked me straight in the eye and said, Rod, we were told to stand down on this case, and I can't share any information with you. And that's why the cover-up. Now, of course, the biggest cover-up comes from um, a surgeon who operated on uh, uh, on Seth Rich, and he said there were no fatal wounds in this at all. We sewed him up. Uh, you know, we had some bowel resection, et cetera. We left him, um, and we were going to check on in the morning, but there was no light. He says, I've seen much, much worse survived than this. And all of a sudden, there was a shutdown within the hospital, and the police uh, arrived, and no doctors were allowed to attend to them, attend to him until he died. Now, that was an, uh, an anonymous um, email that was sent out by someone claiming to be. I mean, how... How can we corroborate this? Do we, do you believe this story? Because, you know, it's at this moment, isn't it just hearsay? This this well, this att- the, the point physician. Is, this guy is, clearly knows what he's talking about. The the language, the code, the medical codes, everything is absolutely correct in the way that he talks about. Uh, you know, the abbreviations that he uses, um, and you know, the establishment has no. Um, let me put it this way: they they can use these types of things. They can put out true information in a forgery as they did in the George W. Bush AWOL um, conspiracy when he was uh, in the Air Force Reserve. They put out a forged letter by the commanding officer uh, affirming it. Then they declared it a forgery so that they could discredit the true substance in the forged letter. And they may do this here, but so far no one has come out and, uh, and actually been able to uh, you know, counter this. I think it's accurate, and it does match the modus operandi. I mean, how did he die in the hospital? Uh, you know, without any real uh, life-threatening wounds. Joel Skousen is with us, editor, publisher of World Affairs Brief, Nelson Thal, media scientist. Uh, Nelson, you have a new website. Give us that, please. 
McLuhanTactics.com. All right. Uh, go ahead, Nelson. I totally agree with Dr. Scales, and I think that uh, it's kind of obvious exactly really what's gone on here. He leaked information on the Democratic Party. He's a whistleblower. Uh, he, he crossed Hillary, and uh, we know that there's a long Hillary death list. So he's on the Hillary death list now. I'm not even – I'm not willing to go there yet. I just – okay, there is some interesting – um, things happening here, but what I find most disturbing is this rush to judgment that it was a, a robbery gone bad from the mayor stating it publicly. Uh, we have a case, for example, where Twitter uh, suspended the Twitter account of uh, WND, World Net Daily, because they tweeted a story about DNC chairman or former chairman Donna Brazil calling the Washington police, wanting to know who is poking around in this investigation. Things well, like that. What Snowden say? Whistleblower risked his life. What's he saying? On this, I don't know, but I know what I know that Assange all but admitted. Well, I mean, if you read between the lines, if you listen to that interview he gave, he all but admitted that Seth Rich was the source of these leaks. However, that's not a hundred percent. Yeah, but that's for me. So, I mean, these guys. This is a whistleblower who. Um, it's a danger to get a, and become a whistleblower and have intelligence and become a a guy who leaks your stool pigeon. They get rid of you. That's exactly what Assange was hinting at. Uh, Joel, yeah. I mean, is it uh, is it for you a certainty then that that Seth Rich was the source of the DNC uh, email leaks? Yeah, I think it's a certainty to me, and the reason that they, the establishment is so powerfully bearing down and trying to bury this story is this is uh, the whole uh, concoction, which is false intelligence about Russian-Trump collusion in the election, uh, is a story they must keep going, and they're bringing in, you know, Jared Kushner into the ring. But, you know, so far, there's nothing except for intelligence operatives' opinion that what it may mean. There is no factual evidence. This thing has been out now for four or five months. No one has pursued, per, uh, produced one shred of evidence that can't be hacked, uh, meaning I mean, you can hack and, and recreate the source of any type of email all around the world. You can send it through various different channels. NSA are experts in doing that. But Kim.com, an actual hacker who was involved in the leak, said, you know, uh, Seth Rich's uh, Reddit account was shut down and then purged and edited out before it resurged. Now, all these things, the media attack against this in the Reddit account, that indicates collusion from a high-level state actor, the deep state. No question. Jim Joel, i got to cut it there. We are out of time, sadly. Joel Skousen, editor, publisher, World Affairs Brief, and Nelson Thal, media scientist, McLuhanTactics.com. Thank you, gentlemen, both. Coming up, U.S. President Donald Trump received an incredible amount of blowback from pulling out of the Paris Climate Accord. We'll get a reaction from Dan Perkins, author, commentator, right after this. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. 
Welcome up, coming up at the, or welcome back rather, coming up at the bottom of the hour. We will uh, do our big reveal on our uh, weekly remote viewing experiment, What's in the Box? And again, use the hashtag TCS Remote. And uh, you send that to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett, S-Y-R-E-T-T. Use the hashtag TCS Remote. We'll also do our, our mailbag. Uh, right now, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, U.S. President Donald Trump catching hell from uh, the lib left, the mainstream media, uh, Wall Street, even big oil, uh, for keeping a campaign promise, which was to pull the United States out of the Paris Climate Accord. This is a non-binding agreement signed by about 190 countries uh, that will not require... China or India, two of the biggest uh, polluters or two of the biggest carbon dioxide producers, uh, to reduce their emissions and will also at the same time require the United States to transfer billions and billions and billions of dollars to these countries. Well, during the campaign, Trump said, not a good deal for America, not a good deal for U.S. taxpayers or U.S. workers. Here to comment is Dan Perkins, a registered investment advisor with over 40 years of investments experience, investing in all asset classes all over the world. Energy, full disclosure here, energy has been a core investment for Mr. Perkins and his clients for the last 25 years. He's also the author of the Brotherhood of the Red Nile trilogy and the third and final installment of the trilogy, now available. It's called Brotherhood of the Red Nile, America Responds. Dan, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Well, Fine, Richard. Thank you for having me on. My pleasure. Uh, let's uh, let's talk about the uh, the Paris Accord for a moment and and what it doesn't do. I mentioned that it doesn't require, and again, it's non-binding. It's a volunteer, um, but it, it it doesn't require China or India uh, to reduce emissions, and it requires a huge transfer of wealth from the United States to the East. So. On the face of it, economically, it's a bad deal for the United States. Now, you know, the science we can debate. But talk to me a little bit, about, a bit more about, in your mind, why Trump wanted to pull out. You, um, you actually hit it dead on the money. This is all about wealth transfer. The estimate, Richard, is that in order to fund the requirements of the Paris Accord, between now and the year 2100, will be a minimum of $68 trillion. Let me put that in perspective for you, Richard. The global GDP right now is $126 million of all the signers of the Paris Accord. So you're talking about $68 trillion, and, and we're supposed to believe that that's a good number with the governments looking out 83 years? I don't think so. So it, when Trump's talking about it, it doesn't make any sense. Let me give you some more statistics that the left is not giving you. Um, study done on the 25 most dirtiest cities in the world from an air quality standpoint and pollution not one city in the United States made the 25. By the same token, the Democrats who are crying foul, Forbes magazine just did a release a study on the 10 dirtiest cities in the United States. Would you find it surprising that the mayor of all 10 cities are all Democrats? Hmm. 
What are they doing to cleaning up their city? They're not. Well, you mentioned the, the, the figure, $78 trillion, this huge transfer of wealth. Think how much you could do, what you could do with $78 trillion. You could provide clean water for every village in Africa and India that doesn't have a, a proper sanitation system. Uh, I mean, they, they, what, what is the payoff here in terms of carbon dioxide reduction over that period for $78 trillion. In, let's, let's talk about temperature, for example. How much are we going to bring down the temperature for $78 trillion over that period of time? Do we know? The weather, oh, yes. The weather people are, uh, who are responsible, and NASA, who are responsible for calculating what this might be, that by the year 2100, they believe if we spend this, and I think $68 trillion, Richard, is, is, is not even a drop in the bucket because who can project spending 83 years out? Nobody. So, but the scientists are saying that if everything goes right, everybody participates, we will drop the temperature one degrees Fahrenheit. One degree one. Fahrenheit over that period of time for $78 trillion. Right. I, I think that that's, that's, that's a, that is an outlandishly low number. I mean, if you go to the National Weather Service in the United States and their websites and they talk about weather forecasting, they say that anything out beyond 10 days anywhere in the United States is a guess. And we're supposed to believe that the scientists have figured out how to know what's going to happen in 2100, based on what they have today, well, I, it is they, absolutely ludicrous. As far as I'm concerned, they, they're still trying to figure out how to get the five-day forecast right. So never mind yes, 100 yeah. years. Dan Perkins is with us, registered investment advisor and also the author of the trilogy, The Red or sorry, Brotherhood of the Red Nile, and uh, the latest is um, uh, the Red Nile, Brotherhood of the Red Nile, America Responds. Um, yes. Again, thinking about that $78 trillion or $68 trillion or whatever it is. Uh, Something greater than $78 trillion in my There's no government in this world. No, no mathematician can predict what a government, government's going to spend 70, 80 years out. It's not, it's not happening. It's just... It's about as accurate as this climate change is. Let me ask you then, why is Wall Street opposed to Trump pulling out? Why is a lot of, a lot of big businesses opposed, even big oil? Why are they opposed if this is such a bad idea? Because been, I think they have been sold a huge bill of goods. It is, it is the, the biggest bait-and-switch game I've ever seen. Because if you just, as you pointed earlier out, if you just look at the numbers, it is a wealth transfer scheme. You, you pointed out correctly. Um, this report that I talked about earlier, where 15 of the top 20 cities in the world with the worst pollution are in China and India. They don't have to comply. In fact, their language for the CO2 emissions in China is they believe they'll peak peak, Richard, in 2035, but no guarantees. Hmm. So if we don't have anybody on the top 25, and India and China are the biggest polluters in the world today, allowing them to expand their pollution till 2035, 
uh, and and no and there's no consequences because it's a quote non-binding. I mean, Richard, if you think about it, how can you how can you chastise Mr. Trump for pulling out of a non-binding agreement? Because generally, a non-binding agreement doesn't mean it doesn't bind anybody to do anything. And, and then the rhetoric uh, again from from uh, uh, Democrats is that this is going to result in in the death of children. I mean, the budget oh, is yeah. going to the budget is going to kill people. Repealing Obamacare is going to kill children, and pulling out of the Paris Accord, a non-binding agreement, is going to kill children. It's going to put millions of people out of work. The, the 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 economic forecast from from Barack Obama's own government says that the cost the cost. Remember, we're talking really talking about wealth transfer, Richard. The cost for the average household in the United States is a minimum of $4,000 a year. $4,000 a year per household hmm. to try and get the temperature down one degree. Well, what is uh, disturbing Makes to no me, it, it does not uh, on the surface. And again, you know, the economics don't make sense, and, and, and we can debate the science uh, I happen to believe, you know, that we are on a carbon dioxide starvation diet. We have 400 parts per million in the atmosphere, which is about the lowest uh, it, it has been in the Earth's history. The optimal uh, concentration of carbon dioxide for plant growth, you know, the stuff that we need to eat to survive, plants, that stuff, mm -hmm. is 1,200 mm -hmm. parts per million. 1,200. That's what a farmer pumps into his greenhouse to grow his tomato plants. 1,200 parts per mm -hmm. million. We're at 400 parts. Right. So I have to say the science doesn't make sense to me either, but the economics definitely not. I'm writing, I write for seven different blogs in the United States, and I'm writing a piece right now on the very subject that we're talking about. And um, all the stuff that we've talked about and much more will be in that piece. I just can't tell you which blog it's going to be on. Uh, I try and spread it around as much as I possibly can. But when you think about the, the wealth transfer, that it really it, be, it makes sense as a strategy because there's one other thing. All those people that you talked to me about, the presidents of oil companies and Disney and all these other people who are in favor of the Paris Accord, by and large, not all of them, but a lot of them, are under the influence of political correctness. Hmm. And, and they will they will be chastised. They would be chastised. In the article, I have uh, a report by an independent organization that has 32,000 scientist signatures not believing global warming, now, not believing. Dan, how would you respond to critics who would say, listen, you have a skin in this game. You're, you're an investment advisor. You're heavily uh, invested in the energy game. So, of course, you're going to come out uh, against the Paris Accord. Of course, you're going to come out against anthropogenic or man-made global warming. How do you respond to the critics, Dan? Uh, that's a great question, because as an investment advisor with 43 years of experience, numbers is my game. I make evaluation based on numbers. And when I look at the cost, the $68 trillion, and I look at an estimate by the president's own administration of $4,000 a year per household, 
the numbers don't make sense as a good return on investment to try and bring down the temperature one degree. But they make a lot of sense if you want to transfer wealth from the richer nations to the poorer nations. That's what this is. It's a wealth transfer scheme. I've got an idea how they could use that money in, in the United States. And I happen to believe that the you know Americans are amongst the most innovative uh, people on the planet. They have proved that uh, forever. Take those billions of dollars and in, in, instead of throwing money down a black hole, like trying to figure out how to sequester carbon dioxide by burying it under the ground, which will cost trillions of dollars and is not necessarily proven to be effective. Instead of trying to do that or instead of trying to cripple agricultural industries and, and energy uh, collapse economies around the world, keep those billions of dollars in the United States and, and let's assume for a moment man-made global warming is real. Let's spend those tens and hundreds of billions of dollars to figure out a way to disassociate the carbon dioxide molecule so that what comes out of the tailpipe of an uh, internal combustion engine or what comes out of a coal-fired plant is, is just water vapor. I mean, I believe right. we can do that. Why don't we set that as a goal, like putting man on the moon? Let's figure out how to disassociate the carbon dioxide molecule. But they're not interested in talking about that at the United Nations because that's not the goal. I agree with you. It's about this wealth transfer and control. I can tell you, Richard, uh, on, a, on I can't give you the name, but I know that the technology that you're talking about not only exists, it's been proven in coal-fired plants to eliminate the CO2. Oh, I can give you a name because I know him personally. His name is David Yurth at Novatech Institute in Salt Lake City. <laughs> Dan, right. Is that Thank the guy you. you were thinking of, Dan? Yes. All right. That's one of the people I know. <laughs> All right. Dan Perkins, again, the, uh, the final installment of the Brotherhood of the Red Nile, America Responds, now available at Amazon. Thank you for this, Dan. Thank you, sir, for having me. I enjoyed it. My pleasure. All right. Coming up, the results of our remote viewing experiment, what's in the box, and the big reveal, plus our mailbag. Stay with us. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The truth will set you free. But first, it will really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. All right, welcome back. Uh, coming up a little bit later in this hour, uh, Dr. Cass Ingram uh, will be with us uh, to talk about Lyme disease and uh, some possible natural um, ingredients that you can use to combat what can really be a debilitating disease. Um, May, I believe, is officially uh, uh, Lyme Disease Awareness Month, and now, of course, we're into June. But, you know, you still, you got to take precautions, particularly. You go to a walk in the woods, make sure you're wearing long pants, long sleeves, uh, inspect, inspect yourselves, and, you know, the buddy system. Make sure no ticks, no ticks. Uh, we are going to uh, reveal what's in the box. You know what? I, I made a kind of a boo-boo, I, uh, a logistical error. I sent Albert out for coffee, and uh, Albert was going to help us with mailbag. 
uh, our mailbag segment. But anyway, let's uh, maybe he'll be back in time. Maybe he won't. But let's, in the meantime, go to the Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett, and uh, over to you, Orion. And what are people guessing, or not guessing, what are the remote viewing responses as they use the hashtag TCS Remote? What do people think is in the box? Well, a lot of good remote views tonight. Uh, YY thinks it's a fruit, maybe yellow or orange. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gord thinks it's in a ceramic painted plate. Uh, Daniel sees a shaving razor. Amanda sees a small wooden burn ornament, a bird ornament. Uh, Dar, a rubber ducky. James thinks it's a belt buckle. Uh, John, a jack of spades. Paul, a booklet of some kind. Phil, a ball. And Aaron, an ice cream scooper. All right. Well, uh, let's go around the horn here. And uh, let's begin with uh, Albert. What do you th- I know I've been keeping you busy, Albert, and you've had, you haven't had time to focus on the, the protocols of remote viewing. But I'm going to ask you to channel Ingo Swan here uh, and Hal put off and tell me what do you think is in the box. Okay. It's, I hope it's a lucky guess. I get a fidget spinner, round and white and spinning. Yo-yo, maybe a baseball. All right. A fidget spinner. Good guess. You've been um, seeing what's trending on Twitter. And uh, over to the uh, producer of Strange Planet, Ryan White. What do you, what do you think is in the box? Uh, I've been thinking and seeing the beach, so maybe a, a pebble or a, a sandstone or something sedimentary, a seashell. Ah, it's sedimentary, dear Watson. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, Will Power over in the other uh, – I'm, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit. No, are you waving me off? You don't want a remote view? You want to try? Go. Oh. Get Victor. Oh, Victor. Should we try Victor? Okay. Victor, what's in the box? I think it's a glove of some kind. A glove. A glove of some kind. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it is rubber, not a rubber glove, but an eraser, a giant pink eraser. There you go. For really big mistakes. Uh, did anyone come close, Ryan? I, I'm trying to remember. I don't think so. No, it doesn't. No, nothing too close, no. All right. Thank you for all at Playing at Home, and uh, we'll try again next week. Not next week. We're going to suspend it for next week, but the following week we will be back uh, with our remote viewing experiment. What's in the box? All right. Um, over to the mailbag. Now, uh, Albert, do you have time to open that up? I know I yeah. sent you out of the room for coffee. It's okay. I, they're up. Um, we have the first one is from Jed, and he says, I was impressed that your recent guest is connected with Marshall McLuhan. Nelson Thal. He's talking about Nelson. Yes. Correct. I read McLuhan's The Media is the Message 40 years ago when I was a journalism student at Utica College, part of Syracuse University. Utica, yeah. And passed it along to my kids. That's where I developed a healthy skepticism of the media. Fake news is nothing new. Keep up the good work, Jed. All right. Yes, he's referring to uh, our, our panelist uh, earlier this hour, Nelson Thal, who was the, um, the official archivist for Marshall McLuhan, probably one of Canada's greatest minds. Here's a little bit of trivia. Did you know that the, the media is the message? When it came out, the first edition, and I'd like to know what it's worth if you had a first edition, but the first edition, when it came back from the publisher, there was a misprint on it. It actually said the media is the massage, as in, remember that Monty Python sketch? And now a massage from the Swedish prime minister. That's what it said. And McLuhan thought, hey, that's an interesting sort of play on words. So he, he let it go. So there are some first edition copies of that monumental work, The Media is the Message, floating around that actually say, the media is the massage. All right, what's up next? We had something, uh, someone emailed about... Um, Chris- 
Christopher has sent an email. It says, we are approaching the 100th anniversary of the great Halifax explosion. I have never heard mention of conspiracy surrounding the event. I'm curious if you plan to cover it as we near the 100th anniversary. That's a great question. Um, I'm not aware of any. It's, I mean, it's, a, it's been chronicled. Um, oh, we, well, we've got a, a former school teacher here. Who, um, who wrote Barometer Rising? That was a Canadian author. Was that oh, um, McClanahan? No. Um, the, guy, the same guy that wrote Two Solitudes. Great Canadian author. I can't remember his name, but Barometer Rising was about the the Halifax explosion, and it is this December will be the hundredth uh, anniversary. Um, gosh, I could kick myself for not remembering the uh, uh, the name of the author, but it's a Canadian author, Barometer Rising. It's all about that. Uh, we'll look into that. Yeah, maybe there may be something there, maybe not. All right. And then recently we had a um, someone who called in during an open line. The Bruce they, Lee. Yeah, they wanted to do uh, they wanted us to do a show on what happened to Bruce Lee. Uh, his name, his first name is Henry, and he says, "Richard, if you do a little digging, you will find a tape of Chuck Norris speaking about Bruce Lee's death." Uh, Bruce was experimenting with extra pure form of hashish from Kathmandu at, to use as a pain remedy. Uh, a few days before his death, uh, he. Uh, told Chuck Norris that their physician told him to stop using it as it will ultimately kill him. Uh, uh, I believe his wife, wife Linda kept this quiet and Bruce continued to use it. And uh, he believes that, uh, you know, a pure grade form of hashish is what caused, was the cause of death. Interesting. All right. And that was Chuck Norris, martial artist and uh, also a columnist at uh, WND, formerly World Net Daily. Who, said, who stated that publicly, and he was friends with Bruce Lee. Interesting. All right. Well, maybe that's uh, case closed. But uh, nonetheless, I think we'll uh, we'll pursue that and uh, see if we can put together a show on the... Uh, Should get Chuck Norris on. <laughs> I'm going to put you on that. All right. There's your assignment, Albert. All right. When we come back, Dr. Cass Ingram will talk Lyme disease... Lyme disease, one of the most dreaded and destructive diseases known. In the U.S. alone, take the, get this, in the U.S. alone, there are likely a half million new cases of the disease caused by deer tick bites annually. Dr. Cass Ingram discusses on the other side, right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Get this. Lyme disease, perhaps one of the most dreaded and destructive diseases known in the U.S. alone. There are likely a half million new cases of the disease caused by deer tick bites annually. But in many cases, the victim is entirely unaware of what's happened to them. 
A person contacts Lyme disease when corkscrew-like bacteria called spirochetes are released from the mouth parts of the biting deer tick and bore into the joints and connective tissues of their human hosts, where they cause significant inflammation and pain as well as tissue damage. And there are a wide range of other germs which may co-infect the tick bite a victim, including organisms which may attack the brain and nervous system. Here, with very important information on possible ways to counteract the debilitating effects of Lyme disease and chronic Lyme disease is Dr. Cass Ingram, the author of over 30 books, including The Lyme Disease Cure. He's a popular media personality, has appeared on over 5,000 radio and TV interviews. He's a much sought-after lecturer, and he teaches the public and health professionals about the powers of natural medicine and wild medicinal spices. Dr. Cass Ingram, welcome back once again. How are you, my friend? Great. How you been getting along over there? Well, um, I'm just, I'm staying out of the woods. I don't know that my area in particular is kind of a hot zone. Uh, How do you find out, first of all, you know, if you want to go for a nice stroll in the woods, how do you find out whether there's, there are known infected deer ticks in your area? Well, sometimes the local uh, agricultural societies that, you know, governmental agencies will do uh, the ethnobotanists and, and so forth, uh, not so much the, the, not the ethnobotanists, but the, uh, the people who do the forensic work on insects, they will go and, and do a test to see how many ticks they can pick up in a certain radius. Uh, so you have to talk to government agencies about that, uh, entomologists. So now the other thing is that you can look at the zones pretty easily. Any wooded zone where there are lots of deer in in the southern part of Canada is at high risk, for instance. And you do have quite a bit of cases of Lyme across national in Canada that are underreported. The, now, one of the problems Canada Canadians face, and we'll get in the U.S., is that there's a denial uh, that Lyme is in Canada. I don't think a rat or a bird that carries these ticks or the deer really know anything about the Canadian-U.S. border stop. (laughs) Good point, yes. Uh, Do you have anything to declare? (laughs) Yeah, they have plenty to declare. Now, there's super hot zones. are going to be Wisconsin, Minnesota, to a degree Michigan, and then, of course, the northeastern seaboard is extremely hot. Uh, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Vermont, uh, certainly uh, New Jersey is terrible, Delaware. You mentioned Connecticut. That's that's where it all began, right, in a community called Lyme, Connecticut. Right. You see, uh, you have to ask a serious question why it's so dangerous now to be in the woods or in, in, in your backyard, potentially, in the scrub, uh, leaving or trimming or picking up sticks and so forth or going for a stroll or fishing or hunting. Uh, you have to ask that question because this certainly wasn't the case. Nobody was going around getting bullseye rashes in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, even 60s. It was extremely rare. Uh, enter 1970 with old Lyme and Lyme, Connecticut, those pocket outbreaks in children who lived in wooded areas, right? And they That's developed right. rheumatoid arthritis, bullseye rash, and more. That's the thing. I, I want to get into this because it... it it can be misdiagnosed. It can be. It, it's like the great imposter. Um, it can be. It can appear to be rheumatoid arthritis. It can appear to be Parkinson's. It can. It right. can manifest as as heart disease. Uh, uh, let's, let's talk about how this happens. How can it disguise itself as so many and, and be misdiagnosed so often? Well, there isn't a high uh, clinical 
awareness. And so this is a, uh, the biggest dilemma is that the physician is not looking for Lyme. When a person presents with a sudden illness, a uh, rheumatoid arthritis-like illness, a single joint uh, can, uh, sickness where you can't walk or the knee doesn't work anymore, all of a sudden, you see, all of a sudden your deltoid or shoulder doesn't work. All of a sudden your wrist doesn't work. All of a sudden you have a swollen knee or painful knee. Uh, nor, nor is the physician alert to the fact that MS is is Lyme disease very frequently, maybe eight out of ten cases. Nor does the Parkinson's eight out of elicit any uh, clinical acumen from the doctor. Eight out of you're saying eight out of now this is you saying this eight out of ten cases of MS. I'm going to say may may be Lyme disease. Related. In the continental United States, may is is being very very. Uh, Conservative. All right, I'm a conservative. Lyda Matman did some brain biopsy analysis. She found nine out of ten MS cases have the actual Lyme spirochete in this in these decades infecting the brain, and in Parkinson's nine out of ten, and Lou Gehrig's almost ten out of ten. I know of a very famous football player, Mr. Turner, who recently passed away, and we did a, well, an autopsy was done on him. He had Lou Gehrig's disease. They thought it was from beating his head into others as a football player. He had the most fulminant Lyme infestation in his autopsy brain and spinal cord of any human ever tested, and he's in Alabama, where there's not supposed to be any Lyme. So, uh, so, so if somebody goes with Guillain-Barre, if somebody suddenly is paralyzed, here's how you do it. If a person gets sick from April to November and they used to be healthy and they develop a paralysis, MS-like symptoms, tremor, single joint arthritis that migrates, extreme exhaustion, sick like they've never been before, Bell's palsy, uh, Lyme can present as paralysis of the face. That's the only symptom in some cases. Is there always that telltale bullseye? No, uh, only one in three. One in three. All right, that's We important. don't mention it much because it's a very obvious sign, and it's, not, it's relatively rare. Uh, so many people get bit. Now, this is a stealth... Including habit. you, including you. You ended up in a wheelchair. Wheelchair, crutches, screaming at everybody, couldn't stand the pain, couldn't sleep at night. Yeah, you know me, I'm always messing around with the natural, uh, you know, bush and picking and things. And what a disaster when I got Lyme. Oh, my God. That was horrifying. That's a whole other thing. The well, book is based on that, actually. The Lyme Disease Cure. Dr. Ingram, Dr. Cass Ingram is uh, with us. The Lyme Disease Cure. Okay, so how, when you were struck with this, did you know immediately it was Lyme disease? No, you see, I, I was at the top of my game. I don't think I'd ever felt better. I was in the wilderness for a week. I wasn't taking any supplements or anything. I was just enjoying the air, doing this project in the Wisconsin scrub. The last couple of days, I hadn't seen any ticks. I didn't. I let my guard down. I didn't pull my socks over my pant leg. I did not wear my white, you know, $2 synthetic suit. I didn't put any spray on. And I don't know, about a week later, I thought I was going to die or something. I mean, I, 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 if I go back, I, I, I threaded all that through the book, what I went through in those months. I'm, I, my head felt like it was in one room, my body in another. I kept pressing my fists into my skull to get relief. What could, how, could, how could anybody be this sick? I mean, I'm not a sick person. What's going on? I couldn't sleep. I, then all of a sudden, I started burning up. My chest was burning, everything burning, burning. 
Uh, and then all of a sudden I couldn't walk on one side, and all of a sudden I couldn't put my arm through my shirt, and I couldn't unscrew a jar, and then I started dropping things. I'm a strong guy, I'm dropping stuff. Uh, so finally that burning on my back was so bad, after about a week or eight days, I spun around in the mirror and I saw the bullseye rash, I saw the residue of it there. Ah. Now if this goes on long enough, if you've been infected and you don't seek treatment, if it goes on long enough, that develops into what they're calling chronic Lyme disease. I've heard some... That's what I had by that time, you see, and then I developed neuroborreliosis, 40% fatal. I knew I was, uh, like, going to check out or not going to check out, and and so I, I, I didn't want to do the antibiotics because then I'd be a chronic cripple to antibiotics and then be full of fungus, and I just rolled the dice. Maybe I could take some natural cures and stall this off, and and I did that. You see, I started taking stuff. Well, the antibiotics, that's the conventional method of treating it, right? That's right. But the problem is what I've been told and what I've heard from doing programs like this on Lyme disease over the years is that in order to knock out chronic Lyme disease with antibiotics, you have to, you have to go well beyond the, 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 the antibiotic protocol. I know. Because you're only supposed to use antibiotics for a certain period of time. Probably only one week or two weeks. This we're talking about two, three years of antibiotics for chronic Lyme. Okay, so how did you knock it out then? Well, I, I mean, I've written the book, The Cures in the Cupboard, and I talk about the germicide, the, the wild oregano oil, you know. And I, I know the P73 oregano oil is you and I take it, and we know it's edible, we know it's safe, it doesn't hurt anybody. So I thought, well, let me go to all reliable, it's a germicide. And I had tested it at a lab, and it killed the spirochete years ago. So. So then now I'm taking it. I'm, I'm taking, I mean, I, I don't know, 40 drops four times a day. I'm, I'm drinking some juice of oregano, eating the Oregamax. I'm taking these. That's what I had in my house. Oh, I, I had high hopes in two or three days I'd be cured. I had had tick bites in the past, and I used the oregano oil and the juice to cure it in two or three days. In a week, I didn't feel any different. I'm still miserable. Well, what's going on? For three months, it was like that. I just kind of kept it at bay, and I didn't get any better, really. Maybe 5% better. I'm still sick, can't sleep. You're still in a wheelchair at this point. No, I wasn't. This came, I'll tell you how it works. So I, I was, I'm was. i about ready to die from this neuroborreliosis in my brain and spinal cord. So I said, you know, I've had it with this. I'm sick of it. I'm going to do something crazy. So I took a whole bottle of super strength oil of oregano. I don't recommend this with the off brands, and there's many of those, but with the P73, you could do it. If you have Lyme, you could do it. What I did, I took a whole bottle, 850 drops, dumped it in a glass of water, then I took these gel caps, dumped them in a jar. I took 120 gel caps of the oil of oregano. I took 50 gel caps of the oregaresp. I dumped it in a jar, and I started... I drank that whole bottle of oregano oil all at once. Oh, my and Through Lord. the whole day, I took a, about 200 capsules. I did it for a week. In a week's time, I saved my life. Not two years, one week. But now I'm feeling better. I'm in good shape. And I'm not, you know, going to have any more lime. Well, 90 days later. I didn't feel 100%. See, that's a, that's a bugger, that Lyme, huh? It comes around and bites you again. Well, I could have got bit again, or 
I didn't clean it completely because it popped out in my joints. Oh, it's I didn't have the rest of the symptoms. All of a sudden, it pops out in my joint. Just about out of time, Cass. So how, how did you finally lick it? Well, I just went back on the protocol and pounded it into oblivion. All right, you got to be persistent. That's yeah, how you lick the tip. on my website, CassIngram.com. What are you supporting Amazon? Support the little guy, www.CassIngram.com. And then find out about the oregano juice, oil of oregano, oregares, big part of the protocol for Lyme. I'm helping people all over the country with my stuff. The Lyme disease cure, Dr. Cass Ingram. Give us the website again, Cass. Well, I'm not going to give you the website to Plum Island where it probably started. I'll give you my <laughs> website. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I'll tell you. That's a whole other story. CassIngram.com, CassIngram.com, 1-800-243-5242. Learn more. Get well if you're suffering with this thing. Get rid of it. The Lyme disease cures. Uh, Lyme disease cure. Thanks, uh, Cass. Always a pleasure. Yeah. Dr. com. Open lines on the other side. Your opportunity to uh, have at me say anything. 416 360 0740. These are the numbers to call. 416 360 0740. Toll free from just about anywhere. 866 740 You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. Thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' basement, your loft. That greasy spoon just off the interstate and your cabin in the woods. A hearty how-do to everyone listening in on our flagship station here in the Liberty Village neighborhood of Toronto, Canada. And that would be Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM. All of those, of course, listening via one of our affiliate stations along the line. And um, the uh, the podcast at Stitcher Radio, iTunes, TuneIn.com, and, of course, TalkZone.com. Uh, those of you who take the show with you on the uh, the app, uh, the uh, the Conspiracy Show app or the Zoomer Radio app, which are both fabulous. I know I say that, but it's absolutely true. They're two of the best radio apps you're ever going to find. Uh, the Zoomer Radio app, it's just elegantly simplistic and, and, uh, and wonderful. And uh, also the Conspiracy Show app, which allows you to do so many things. Um, you can uh, participate in polls. You can participate in a, in a, um, a remote viewing experiment. It just it goes on and on and on. Sharon Forster did a, a, a superb job on our, on our app. Uh, those of you uh, who catch the, uh, the live stream on YouTube, uh, please take a moment and hit the subscribe button. We've uh, we've set a very modest goal of 10,000 subs sometime in 2017, and uh, I believe as of tonight we are officially halfway there. So uh, those of you who are participating in the live chat as well on YouTube, it's always great to have you aboard. You're so faithful, so supportive. Welcome to all of you. Uh, coming up at the, uh, the bottom of the hour, uh, Dr. Stephen Greer. Uh, no secret, he is one of the the official the one of the driving forces in the uh, official uh, UFO ET disclosure movement, and um, he's going to be in Toronto June twenty third, twenty fourth, and twenty fifth at the Alien Cosmic Expo. We'll give you more details on that, but he's here to talk about a new documentary uh, just released, and it's called Unacknowledged. 
So we're looking forward to that. And, of course, a, a visit from our good friend, uh, Victor Vigiani from Zeland News Network. Uh, he'll be along with us uh, to talk with Dr. Greer as, as well. As you know, uh, Victor is a huge Donald Trump fan. <laughs> and he will be here uh, once again, as he did last week, extolling the virtues of the, uh, the Trump administration. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But we still he, – he, he's, he's been very vociferous in his opposition to Donald Trump. But you see, I still allow him on the program. And we don't shout him down and we don't denigrate. That's the difference between the Trump people and the – just kidding. <laughs> he's – man, he's glaring on <laughs> – <laughs> Just kidding. All right. We are going to do uh, open lines uh, now for the uh, the next, uh, well, 30 minutes or so till the bottom of the hour. Again, this is your opportunity to talk about just about anything, keeping in mind. This is called The Conspiracy Show. We don't exchange veal recipes here on the program. Uh, let's see. Why don't we just dive right into the uh, program? Let me get my screener uh, up here. And uh, we're going to speak with David in Toronto. David, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Very well, Richard. My pleasure to speak with you. I think you're the most knowledgeable and, more importantly, wise radio host I've ever heard in my life. It's all done with mirrors, but thank you for that. <laughs> I um, um, took a hunting course. I don't actually hunt, but I took a course, and there was a deer run down on Kingston Road right in front of the thing halfway through the second day, which we cleaned and and prepared for the freezer. To, and. So there's a lot of deer in Toronto in the ravine. Yes. And um, I've always been afraid to go out in any ravine around the city without long pants on. And, and, and your guest said it's the important thing to put your socks up over the pants because mm. these bugs can't get through the cloth. Right. So, I mean, why wouldn't we all wear long pants when walking in, in the woods around southern Ontario. Yeah, it's so avoidable. It is so avoidable. But sometimes, you know, uh, we make excuses. It's too hot. It's too humid. Or we we didn't plan out in advance that we were going to go for a a jaunt in the woods and we're in our shorts and then all of a sudden there we are and... Oops. Yeah, oops is right. Yeah. um, But I don't know. Why not have a pair of long pants? But the socks up out over the outside can totally stop this. And uh, we can always go with no shirt because they can't, they don't fly. They they crawl out of the grass. Excellent point. Excellent point. That's pretty well that. Oh, and you owe me a beer from Judy Wood, too. I'm I'm that guy. Remember when you went that's to the, right. car, How are we, the, the That's right. How are we going to do that now? <laughs> the next time you're somewhere. By the way, that um, um, Alien Expo, is that in Toronto? Yes, it is. It's at the, the, it's at the, the airport Crown Plaza, which is a beautiful hotel right uh, close to the airport, nice and convenient. And it's June 23rd, 24th, 25th. And, How do you uh, just, get the tickets? Well, or? just go to aliencosmicexpo.com, and you can get them, uh, order them right there. Wow. Maybe I'll see you there. Maybe. <laughs> if not, just keep reminding me that you, I owe you a beer. Will do. Well, just maybe we'll have to connect right here in Liberty Village. Yes. David, thank you. Thank you, Richard. All right. Uh, Kevin is in Etobicoke. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Oh, hi, Richard. Thanks hi there. for taking my call. My pleasure. Um, I was wondering if you've heard the case of uh, there's this American talk radio host who has been found to, uh, he was under very high-tech surveillance for about two years. Oh, that guy in Buffalo. Yes. Is you... it okay to say his name? Um, did he talk about it publicly? Yes. Okay, then you can. Yes. And it's on the internet. All right, uh, go ahead. His name is Tom Bowerly. You sent me an email on that. Yes, yes, yes. I remember that. And it, it turns out he uh, like, 
he started talking about how he thought he was under surveillance and uh, his sanity was questioned and he was even taken into police custody for a forced psychiatric examination. Seriously? Someone f- yes. uh, a Form yes. 2 to him, as they used to say. I, I don't know what they call it in the U.S., but up here it's a Form 2 to yeah, force well, you. Wow. Uh, and uh, if you Google his name and just like the word surveillance, you can get – there's a – uh, a lot of information there that's available. He signed a non-disclosure agreement, and uh, it's it's a really interesting story. It went on for about two years. As I say, his sanity was questioned. And what, uh, excuse me, uh, Kevin, what yes. what sort of things did he claim in terms of the types of was it organized gang stalking? Did he did he believe that he that he was uh, being targeted with some sort of directed energy weapon, voice to skull technology. What did he? What did he talk about? Um, uh, I have to admit, I don't remember a lot of the details, Richard. But uh, he just he found that there were a lot of vehicles passing his house uh, uh, regularly uh, at the same time, and uh, just unusual activities and. Um, Oh, as I say, it's hard to remember the details now, but as I say, they're available online. Right. And, and do you uh, remember listening to him when he was broadcasting on the air about this, or were you getting it secondhand on the Internet, or how did you well, find he out? he talked about it on the air a lot. He did, and you listened to him? Yes. And he and sounded he sounded uh, rational and cogent and... Very much so. Hmm. And, uh, but the people, uh, he was able to, just through dumb luck... He found out uh, who was behind all of this, and before he blew the whistle on them, they came forward, and there was a legal settlement and a non-disclosure agreement. Aha! Uh-huh. And he has been financially compensated. Interesting. Interesting. But the thing is that the technology that was used to surveil him it was so incredibly high tech. Uh, he has, for the good of uh, American security, agreed not to discuss it publicly. Fascinating. Uh, is this gentleman he, is, is he still around? Do you know? Yes. We sh- Albert, we should uh, we should try and get this gentleman on the program because I mean we talk a lot about uh, targeted individuals, electronic harassment, or torture well, is really what it should be. High tech as it comes. Well, uh, so we'll find out maybe if he's around and if he's willing to talk about it. He can't talk about the technology because he signed a uh, uh, an NDA, but. But perhaps he can talk about the other circumstances surrounding the case. Amazing. I'm sure he could, and I'd, I'd expect he'd be quite willing to. Listen, there's no, there's no doubt in my mind that there are cases like this that are legitimate. And, and there are, unfortunately, there are a lot of uh, people out there who have uh, underlying uh, mental health issues, which doesn't preclude them from also being targeted. Sometimes the people that, you, that get targeted have an underlying mental health issue or they have a drug dependency. I'm not saying that in this case. I want to be clear. But my understanding is that those people are targeted because they already have a credibility issue because of their mental health issue, because of their drug yeah. dependency. Uh, but but there are a lot, there's a whole host of people, obviously legions, that that, that are not being targeted. And it is basically, unfortunately, their mental health issue that's that's coming to the fore in these instances. You know, there is a, a paranoia there. There's no doubt about that. But that doesn't mean, even if it's 99% of these cases are not legitimate TIs, there's that 1%, or maybe it's 10% or 20%. Yeah. Well, as I say, he was taken into custody for a forced uh, evaluation. And when he showed uh, the psychiatrist the evidence he had... 
the psychiatrist ordered his immediate discharge. Interesting. We definitely and have to get this like, guy. Why was this guy even brought in? If you look at his evidence, there's no question that he is a victim of surveillance. Yeah. Uh, you know, if I do one thing on this program, uh, I'm, uh, in my humble way, I hope that I can, I can bring, help bring some additional credibility to this issue because there are cases out there. It's happening. People are being targeted. I know a lot of the technology sounds like it's all, you know, woo-woo kind of stuff. Uh, but we know, for example, voice-to-skull technology, putting a voice in someone's skull where no, else, no one else can hear it in the room, that technology has existed for over 40 years. Yes, and in this case, it uh, had a lot to do with uh, cloaking and invisibility. Whoa. All right. I'm uh, even more intrigued. Uh, Kevin, I do have that email, so I will, uh, I'll put my uh, intrepid story producer, Albert, on that, and we'll see if we can get him on the air. Thank you Great. so much. Appreciate you calling in. Thanks, Richard. Open Lines continues. Get on board, 416-360-0740. That's for the greater Toronto area. And we are great. What a great city. And a toll-free from just about anywhere, 866-744-740. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, our good friend Victor Vigiani from Zealand Communications and Dr. Stephen Greer and his new documentary, Unacknowledged. Stay with us. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Curiosity, or did the devil make you do it? Whatever the reason, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. All right, back to our open line segment till the uh, bottom of the hour. And uh, Michael is checking in from Newmarket, Ontario. Michael, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Yes, hello, Richard. I haven't talked to you for a while. It so. has been a long time. It I used did, to be uh, Mike. It used to be Michael from Newmarket from Toronto. It used, to, it used to be Mike from Riverdale. Was, was, or the I, beach? No, Michael from the beaches. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. From the beaches, and now in Newmarket. All right, good to hear you. So, uh, what I called about? I'm reading a book now. It's uh, I got it from the CNIB, so it's on disc and all that. It's called The Gospel According to the Beatles. Mm. It's by uh, Steve Turner. It was uh, published in uh, 2006. And what, and what it's, uh, it's by John, uh, John, no, it's just a minute now, Westminster John Knox Press All right. in, in Louisville. And, what, and I haven't even read the whole book. I'm not even a third... Through it, but what it seems to be about is, you know, different chapters like, uh, oh, a big chapter on, 
you know, uh, how Christianity was on the decline and John Lennon claiming that uh, the Beatles were more popular than Jesus. Another chapter about uh, their early church upbringing. Uh, John Lennon's the most church, but he doesn't have, he thinks not much of uh, the, the Anglican church and uh, all being influenced by Elvis Presley. And I can't tell you much more except that uh, he was supposed to have donated some substantial amount of money to maybe or Roberts or something like that but that's all I can tell you about the book so far all right sounds interesting I mean I'm I'm a game to, to read just about anything on um, the four lads uh, of course you, know, you probably heard me mention uh, last week that we lost our Gary Patterson a rock and roll investigator a good friend of mine I just got back from the, the funeral down in Tennessee and uh he he wrote uh, sort of the definitive book that debunked the whole Paul is dead legend that sprung up in the 1960s. It was called The Walrus Was Paul, and that set our Gary Patterson on a on a course that basically set him up as one of the go-to guys on, on the Beatles. And uh, I just realized this the other day. Gary passed away on Friday, May 26th. One oh, of, really? And one of the last one of the last conversations we had on the phone, we t- we were talking about Sgt. Pepper. That album, because it, it contained all of these clues, supposedly, that Paul McCartney died in a car crash in 1966. So we were talking about Sgt. Pepper, and he was an authority on it. And uh, when do you think Sgt. Pepper's was released? May 26, 1967. So 50 years to the day, our Gary oh. Patterson checked out. He had a great sense of uh, humor and a wonderful sense of timing. Oh, I remember that... Uh... You, you were talking about with somebody one time uh, in a foot. Uh, it was a football game uh, or a drug trip, one or the other. The <laughs> block that kick. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Yes. John Lennon. Uh, okay. So December eighth, nineteen eighty. Most of us, a lot of us, heard about Lennon being shot by from Howard Cosell because Monday Night Football was on that night. Huge viewers, obviously, and um, they're in the Orange Bowl. They're playing, and Miami Dolphins are playing the New England Patriots. Okay, so the first track of uh, the White Album is um, back in the USSR. Of course, the opening line is, flew into Miami Beach. Then if you go to the, the last track on the White Album, it is, it's kind of a sound collage, and it's um, uh, Revolution Number no. 9 is the name of it. Again, just a sound collage, and what, they, uh, what you hear at the, uh, the very end of that collage is they obviously recorded it at a soccer match or what they call over there a football match in England, and you hear uh, people screaming. The, the whole uh, stadium erupts and block that kick, block that kick. Well, as Cosell on Monday Night Football is announcing, you remember this, you know, uh, just, just in from New York, a horrible tragedy. John Lennon, perhaps the most famous of the Beatles, shot twice in the back, rushed to Roosevelt Memorial Hospital, dead on arrival. And uh, as he's announcing that, New England had just scored a touchdown. They're going for the one-point conversion, and the Orange Bowl erupts in block that kick, block that kick. That's the... uh, that comes, uh, um, incidentally, from Dan Alice, uh, who wrote a book called, um, uh, I can't remember, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful book about John Lennon. He's down in Windsor, and I've had him on the program uh, many, many years ago, but it's, uh, it's an it's a amazing piece of synchronicity. Well, this writer here, 
Uh, I don't know if there's any of that uh, interesting stuff, but there's a concise history of the Beatles. He's written uh, books about Johnny Cash. I can't tell you if this guy's a Christian or not. It sounds like it. All right. John Knox Press. Okay, I'll check it out, Michael, in Newmarket. Thank you for that. Good to hear from you again. Yeah, good to hear from you. All right. William is in Toronto. William, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Hello, Richard. Hi there. You hear me okay? I can, loud and clear. Oh, good. Okay, I'd like to bring this to your attention, uh, this article I found. It's called Unregulated Field of Private Police Need Greater Oversight Report. Warns. It was done by Catherine Harris, a CBC senior parliamentary. Oh, uh, let me just give, give some context order. here. William, you called in last week. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, you were the gentleman who uh, was sentenced to 60 days in jail because you emailed Bible passages to a police officer? Right, just like Kent Hovind was uh, 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 sentenced uh, to jail for uh, sending Bible scriptures to the IRS in his uh, situation. Okay, all right. Uh, so, if you're going to talk about the case, please no names, all right? No names. Okay, okay. It's all over the internet. You can get the full court uh, thing uh, there. That's why I said so. Okay. Anyways, uh, very quickly, uh, I'll go along with this. Uh, this, uh, I, I just read briefly one one little paragraph here. Uh, there is a little. There is little or no governance of oversight of private security firms in Canada. Uh, no mechanisms uh, that require standardized reporting by private security firms and only minimal standards in places uh, for licensing, training, and discipline of various positions. Okay, we get that. No oversight. Why, why do you bring this up, William? Because this, this uh, uh, goes along with uh, uh, what you said about underlying mental illness for, for organized uh, surveillance, targeting a organized gang stalking of, of targeted people. Right. There is no mental uh, underlying illness. Uh, uh, they, they pick on people that uh, live by themselves, uh, mostly women, uh, sometimes men, and people that cannot afford to... Uh, uh, pay for uh, represent, legal representation. That's that's quite that's themselves. quite possibly true. But I will stand by that statement that because I you know I've um, I've looked into this. I've talked to you know top people in the field, and I uh, they assure me that not necessarily the number one target, but it is a convenient target. It is a can I use the term a soft target? Uh, maybe that's not the right term. An easy target. Let's go with that. Uh, to, to pick someone who has already some underlying mental health issue or a drug dependency because there's already, through no fault of their own in the case of the mental health issue, there's already an underlying sort of credibility issue there. And so they will not be believed. Uh, all right. Oh, we lost him. Okay. Um, uh, Paul is in uh, Oshawa. Hello, Paul, with another UFO sighting. Welcome. Hi, Hi Richard. Great show. Thank you. Uh, we're staying up. Uh, yes, I have uh, two sightings to relay to you that happened yesterday. Two more t- yesterday? Yeah. All right. Uh, I went outside 10.30 a.m. with the tea and smoke, admiring our nice uh, near clear sky. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then at about 11 or 11.01, uh, noticed uh, probably a quarter mile directly west of me uh, over Whitby heading towards Oshawa, uh, a dark, a very high, slow, dark flashing object. Uh, for about three minutes until it reached directly over me, and I'm filming it, and it disappeared, and I didn't see it anymore. So I have pictures of that, and then... 
Can you send those to me? I have. And uh, you just sent them to me now? Uh, they were sent about half an hour ago. Okay, hang on. Let me just open up my email. You should have about uh, three batches there. I do. I see them. Okay, two separate UFO sighting pictures, part three, part two, part one. All right, let me uh, have a look at these. Okay, well, these are, uh, these are highly pixelated uh, yes, because you've zoomed in. Uh, you would have to go to the originals to find the uh, enhancements. Uh, the, the first one was very high. Uh, that's why the quality of the uh, uh, pictures are zoom, 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 speaking of zoomer. Well, that's the problem. I mean, it, it, I'm, not, I'm not trying to disparage uh, your account or anything, but because they're so pixelated, what I'm looking at could virtually be anything. It could be a street lamp. It could be – do you have any – do you have video? Well, no, it wouldn't be a street no, lamp. No, I'm not, I'm not suggesting so. I'm saying – but based on the pictures, there's not really a whole lot to go here. Uh, yeah, I mean, Victor Vigiani is here in studio. I don't want to put you on the spot, Victor, but – Oh, no, no worries. Uh, I'll, if, if do you, you see anything the original, there, Victor? The original, uh, not pixelated enhancements, yeah. you, you will find it. Okay. Yeah, I okay, think you, so I think you get better clarity uh, more than the pixelations that you're looking at the enhanced. Yeah, well, you get what I'm saying. These are of no use. Yes, yes. Well, that, that's the whole I, point. I, the The idea of, of having a, a UFO sighting like this, um, and the, the the pixelation that's there, it could in fact be anything. But the, one of the other points that I always make is that people don't generally go out with the intention, as Paul is doing, of of capturing a UFO. They're right. usually very spontaneous. Exactly. And when they're that spontaneous, this is what results. Very few of the UFO sightings that I've seen um, in, in, in pictures are, are credible. I would say 2% of what I see, maybe right. 3% are, it, are, are close to being credible. Exactly. And again, Paul, I'm not, we're, not, we're, not tr- we're not trying to undermine your account. We're just saying that the evidence that you've given us isn't useful, these pixelated photos. But you say you have originals that are not pixelated. Uh, as I said, it was a very high one. Right. Uh, but I, I did capture it. And as I say, if you go to the originals, you'll see them. The second one uh, later occurred uh, in the day at 1236. This one was much, much higher, much farther away uh, in the sky to the west, as I was looking uh, maybe 5, 10 degrees south. And it was a, a bright white light. It wasn't flashing. Uh, it It... It did have distortion the way its intensity was. All right. Any other witnesses, Paul? Yes. Uh, two witnesses, uh, uh, my son's friend and my son. I pointed it out to them. My son's friend was uh, uh, quite freaked out about it. And, uh, of course, the sighting itself lasted uh, till about 124, so just probably about just about 50 minutes or so. Uh, it was sitting 50, up five, zero, or 50. moving towards the north. 50 minutes as in 5-0 or 15 as in 1-5? Five? 5-0, five, Richard. 50 minutes. All right. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, all right, listen, if you've got better photos, please send those. Send the originals and, uh, and then I, you know, we can make a bit of a, a better you determination. Should, you, should have, you should have all the originals there okay. when you look through them. All right. I shall do that. Thank you. Appreciate okay. it. All right, Paul. Well, checking in, in the from- area, I can confirm that. All right. Excellent. Good to hear from you, Paul. Thank you. Call again. Uh, let's try it really quickly to, uh, well, I think we have a few minutes here. Bruce is in West Hill. West Hill. Uh, that's way out uh, Scarborough Way, correct, Bruce? It is, sir. Yep. All right. Um, that's near you, the Bruce. Rouge Valley. Thank you, Bruce. Good to hear you. I've been listening to you for years. I appreciate it. Anyhow, Richard, I hear you always talking about, um, oh, I can't, the names won't even come to me now. I'm gone radio shy. That's all right. What's the topic? Uh, all and maybe, the other shows you're on. You know what I do? Uh, uh, you hear me talking, oh, on Coast to Coast? Coast to Coast, for okay. instance, yes. All right. 
Now, how do I find coast to coast and when you're on and all that? I don't have a TV guide or a radio guide. And do you have, well, do you have a do you have a computer? Yes. Okay. I am disabled and I don't. I can't operate really good, but I can do a bit. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, the best thing is if you go to coast to coast am dot com. Am dot com. Okay. Coast to coast am dot com, and okay. they have an affiliates page. So depending where you are. Uh, you know, they, all the, the affiliates broken down by province, by state, and there's over 600 affiliates across North America. So you just pick one. All right? And um, and just go to that on my radio. That's right. Yeah, no, yeah. it's just I hear you talking about all these shows that uh, you're – there's another one too, Coast to Coast and something else. Uh, no, those are the two that I do, this, this program and, uh, and Coast to Coast. And what time is Coast to Coast on usually during the day? Uh, the uh, the wee hours, 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. Eastern. 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. Eastern. Oh, really? Yeah. My wife gives me problems with stand up every Sunday night. <laughs> it's a tough one. <laughs> June 10th and 11th, my friend. June 10th and 11th. Okay, I'll be on. Okay. Listen, nice talking to you. Love Good. your show. Thank you, Bruce. Take care of yourself. Be well, my friend. All right. Um, Last call to the phones. We just have a few minutes. If we can squeeze in one more, we'll do so. 416-360-0740. That's the greater Toronto area. And if we don't get to you, then just keep this uh, under your hat for next time. 416-360-0740 and toll free from out of town. 866-740-4740. I'll tell you what we'll do um, because we've got just a minute here. Let me bring in uh, Victor Vigiani, who will join us at the, uh, after the bottom of the hour here. And just in advance, why don't you give us some details on the uh, Alien Cosmic Expo that's coming mm-hmm. to uh, Toronto June 23rd, 24th, 25th, because I know that you're heavily yep. involved. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, it's, uh, it's June 23rd, 24th, 25th at the Crown Plaza Hotel. Uh, we have about 16 speakers. That's out by the airport, by the way. That's right, here in Toronto. And, um, yeah, we're going to be having uh, just some highlighting of the UFO issue with uh, Stanton Friedman and, and Grant Cameron, of course. you got some heavy hitters. We do, thing. yes. Um, Carol Hasseltine from... Uh, uh, from the UK, a police officer. Yeah, no, Gary. Well, extremely uh, um, articulate individual with some excellent uh, documentation regarding police sightings of UFOs and the way they're covered up. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, the big draw will be Paul Hellyer once again this year, talking about uh, the whole ET issue and the Trump administration. By the way, <laughs> uh, which you love. Oh, it'll be interesting. <laughs> and then again, too, uh, with uh, our next uh, guest coming up, Stephen Greer. Uh, Dr. Stephen Greer will be there. Uh, giving a lecture just after Mr. Hellyer. And that evening on the Saturday, the 24th, he will be presenting the Canadian premiere of An Acknowledged that we'll be talking about soon. And when he comes on, yes, we will indeed delve into that. Now, uh, so for tickets, they can go to, people can go to aliencosmicexpo.com. Can they buy tickets for one day or like packages so you can buy all three or one day or just for the Stephen Greer event? That's right. They can. There's a whole array of selections on that website. One day packages, uh, weekend packages, etc. And again, that's at the um, the Toronto, the Crown Plaza, out near the airport, though, because I think there's also one downtown. It's mm-hmm. not the one downtown. It's out by the airport, June 23rd, 24th, 25th. All right, when we come back, Dr. Stephen Greer and Victor Vigiani, undisclosed. Stay with us. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. 
Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. If you're sure your phone isn't tapped, call now. 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. This was a big deal uh, recently on uh, 60 Minutes. Space industry CEO Robert Bigelow was quoted as saying, again, this is 60 Minutes. This is as mainstream media as it gets. And uh, this is Robert Bigelow again. We are leaving the era of disclosure and entering the era of identified flying objects confirmation. Again, Robert Bigelow on 60 Minutes. We are leaving the era of disclosure and entering the era of identified flying objects confirmation. That's a pretty big deal. Uh, we will uh, discuss the, uh, the state of disclosure over the next uh, half hour. Joining us here in the studio once again, of course, our good friend and the executive director of Zeland Communications, Victor Vigiani. Victor, welcome. Always a pleasure to be here, Richard. Always. And a uh, great pleasure to uh, welcome back to the program. It's been a long time. Uh, he is undoubtedly the, uh, one of the driving forces in the official disclosure movement and the producer of a new documentary film, Unacknowledged, which will make its Canadian debut at the Alien Cosmic Expo on June the 24th at the uh, Crown Plaza Hotel here in Toronto, out at the airport. Uh, Dr. Stephen Greer is founder of the Disclosure Project, the Centre for the Study of Extraterrestrial Intelligence, the Orion Project, and Sirius Technology Advanced Research. He's the father of the disclosure movement. He presided over the groundbreaking National Press Club Disclosure event back in May of 2001, where over 20 military, government, intelligence, and corporate witnesses presented compelling testimony regarding the existence of extraterrestrial life forms visiting the planet. Dr. Stephen Greer, welcome to The Conspiracy Show, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Let me get your reaction to, uh, before we get into uh, Unacknowledged and the Alien Cosmic Expo, your reaction to Robert Bigelow on 60 Minutes and, and that... Uh, uh, that um, uh, quote. Well, it's interesting, and my answer would be disturbing to, to you and all your listeners. Um, I, I've known Mr. Bigelow since 1993. He's been involved in a number of uh, cells within the UFO subculture that put out enormous amounts of disinformation that would end up leading to what uh, General Douglas MacArthur said would be World War III an interplanetary war. So the fact that he appeared on 60 Minutes, just as the uh, documentary uh, film, Unacknowledged, it hit number one, and it's been number one on iTunes for nearly six weeks, uh, is, is curious, to say the least, uh, disconcerting, actually. And I, I think it portends what I warned about in the 1990s when I wrote a paper called when disclosure serves secrecy. So when you talk about disclosure, you have to understand that there are a lot of competing agendas. And the big one that's been operative since the 1950s uh, within the, the group that maintains control over this issue has been to put out enough disinformation over a period of time that the counterintelligence community would be able to convince people 
of a threat from outer space that we should unite the world around, as Ronald Reagan stated at the United Nations, uh, to uh, further consolidate the military-industrial intelligence complex power. So what I'm concerned about is what is happening with the media where the information, for example, that's in an unacknowledged and that's from uh, you know many, many sources, uh, confirming this counterintelligence effort that's infiltrated the media and academia, that doesn't appear in, in these sort of shows. But you have people popping up all over the New York Times and uh, CBS 60 Minutes that have been deeply tied to uh, operations on this subject, which are much aligned with that messaging and narrative. So... I, I think I'm a little less sanguine about it. I'm actually more concerned about it than than uh, hopeful. Uh, but it's an interesting turn, and it's something that bears watching. So in other words, it sounds, uh, not to put words in your mouth, my summation would be that the, the, the deep state, the people responsible for keeping the lid on the UFO um, ET uh, reality, have taken over the agenda, and so now they've captured the media's uh, imagination and their attention, and they're going to follow the ball, and so now they get to control the message instead of people like you. Yes, but it, you have to understand that the, if you look at the movie Unacknowledged, uh, we have an Air Force intelligence officer as well as a really well-regarded attorney stating point blank that the major media around the world have been infiltrated and controlled by the intelligence community for decades. And on this issue in particular, in fact, uh, the Air Force Office of Special Investigation uh, Counterintelligence Officer stated point blank in the movie that he carried bags of cash to the media, both regional and national, to uh, obtain their cooperation on the UFO uh, narrative and issues. So, and he also admits to the military being involved in staging and hoaxing alien events and alien abductions. So this is this is from someone who spent uh, a better part of a decade specifically being tasked with the UFO issue and, and whose credentials are well known. So you have to begin to ask the question, when you, you have certain elements being, where the door is being opened, and, and here's an even more curious, and, and this sort of proves the case, we, the point we make in the film, uh, is that the big mainstream media and even the new media with the internet since we've just recently proven that some of the social media sites are chopping off the trending of unacknowledged even though it is number one on itunes and other platforms what you find uh, is that there there is an attempt to uh, control that messaging modulate it and then insert people who have a deep history of involvement with different aspects such as uh, abductionism, mutilationism, right. fear-mongering. Dr. Greer, we'll, we're running into a break. Let's pick up on that point on the other side okay. uh, because the music's right. creeping up, and I don't want you to think that I'm trying to truncate that, that message either. Uh, Dr. No, uh, Dr. Stephen Greer is with us, and uh, Victor Vigiani from Zeland News Network. We are talking unacknowledged Dr. Greer's latest doc, which will premiere in Canada at the Alien Cosmic Expo on June 24th. We'll give you more details as the half hour proceeds. Stay with us, The Conspiracy Show. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. 
1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You want the truth? You can handle the truth. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To get the truth, call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back to The uh, Conspiracy Show. Just a quick programming note. Next week, we'll break with format a little bit, uh, go sort of uh, long, long uh, form radio. And in the uh, first hour, uh, Chris O'Brien will be uh, here to speak, well, speaking of cattle mutilations, but uh, Chris takes a very, uh, a far more skeptical uh, look at this uh, phenomenon. He says there are a few high strange cases, but he doesn't get into sort of, you know, UFOs with tractor beams and that whole uh, stuff, which he considers, quite frankly, to be nonsense. Chris O'Brien on cattle mutilations in the first hour. Second hour, my tribute to my good friend, rock and roll investigator, the Fox Mulder of rock, uh, the late R. Gary Patterson, who passed away uh, on May the 26th. The, uh, the second hour will be uh, a tribute to uh, Gary and uh, a replay of an old program we did on Buddy Holly along with Peggy Sue Guerin, who was uh, Buddy's muse. All right, uh, Victor Vigiani is in studio from Zeland News Network. On the line, Dr. Stephen Greer. We were talking about his uh, highly anticipated new documentary, Unacknowledged, which will uh, debut here in Canada June the 24th as part of the Alien Cosmic Expo. And, uh, Victor, do you want to pick up on uh, a little bit of that story, how the um, social media, and you know, is, is um, really sort of trying to subvert uh, the message that, that, that Stephen's trying to get out and the publicity and, 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 and tweets and that? Well, what do you think of that? Well, yeah, there's all kinds of attempts to, um, to take the issue of the extraterrestrial presence, take it in, in many, many different directions, uh, conspiratorial, secrecy. Uh, and the, I think it points to the fact that this issue is so bizarre, so difficult to comprehend for uh, a large proportion of the population here on the planet, that it takes a real um, kind of concerted effort to bring forward what the kernel of the issue really, really is. And this unrecognized aspect as to what this issue really is. And the big thing, as far as I'm concerned personally, is that there is no other issue, no other issue that's in existence as far as I'm concerned personally, that has the capacity to alter the direction of human evolution other than the extraterrestrial problem issue, call it what you want. And I think what's happening here is with social media, it's diluting all of that, the kernel of that perception that I personally have because that's what's going to happen with this issue. Once this issue is brought forward in a, in a sane, proper manner and it is represented as to what it really, really is, and no one can say exactly what, in fact, it is. We'll find that out soon. But it will, in fact, redirect the direction of human evolution. So I guess my question to, to Steve would, uh, would be, how do you see that, Steve, um, uh, in terms of unacknowledged? How do you see what you've done, your efforts, your tremendous efforts to educate the public about this element of the extraterrestrial presence? Well, at the title of the film, Unacknowledged, comes from the first word in a category of operations known as Unacknowledged Special Access Projects, um, <laughs> excuse me, which are the, the most sensitive classified projects 
uh, in the world that deal with the UFO issue, as well as some other issues. And these projects run pretty much off the radar of the oversight of democracies and what have you. And this is very well documented in the movie. The, the movie was really put together for people who aren't living and breathing this stuff on the Internet, which is sort of a, mm-hmm. a, a, a an amalgam of truth and fiction and nonsense, frankly. It was really for people who uh, are reasonably open-minded, the sort of 50, 60 percent of the public that believe that the UFOs are real and the government's hiding something, but they don't know quite what it is, to take them through what the evidence is, but more importantly, how it could be kept secret, and the most importantly, why? That's always, I mean, when I first briefed the director of the CIA for President Bill Clinton, the first question he asked was not, is there any evidence for this? He knew there was. It was, why would this be kept secret from me and from the president, and why would they lie to us? And I told him that it had to do with two large issues. And one is the technological issue, and the, your own Canadian uh Defense Ministry, that the Wilbur Smith document from the early 1950s states point blank that the modus operandi, the mechanism of action, the energy and propulsion system of the ET craft were being studied by a very high-profile group. And this top-secret document, which I understand was actually accidentally declassified, states point blank that it was the most sensitive project in the U.S. government exceeding the secrecy surrounding the development of the hydrogen bomb in 1951. So what people need to understand is that if this information, you know, aside from the philosophical issue of are we alone and all of that, w- w- was brought forward, people would understand that since the uh, early to mid-1950s, we have not needed fossil fuels, coal, centralized utilities, highways, jet engines, rockets, etc., because there has been an alternative energy and propulsion system that has been studied and developed and, and actually fully developed since October of 1954. So I think that what the public has to understand is that this involves the macroeconomic issues, and, and the, the Honorable Paul Hillier, the, your former Minister of Defense, and I have discussed this at length, and the power issues and the folks who really control what happens uh, in our society, who want to maintain the status quo for as long as possible. That's one issue. The other is, if the issue is disclosed, they want to disclose in a narrative that would support what uh, President Ronald Reagan said at the United Nations when he said, gee, wouldn't our task of, of uniting the world be easier if we had a common alien threat? unite against and fight, very much like the movie Independence Day. So that narrative informs a great deal of the disinformation that's out there on the subjects that's, quite frankly, intended to scare the hell out of people. And it's mostly just, frankly, poppycock. I mean, anyone who knows me well will will know I'm a medical doctor. I'm a trauma uh, physician, and I'm a big skeptic about 90% of the information out there on this issue. And uh, with very good reason, because back in the 90s, I was personally read into these operations where there were human paramilitary unacknowledged special access projects that were engaging in mutilations, that were engaging in abductions, that were putting out this information, that were infiltrating the body of knowledge on this issue. So 
you really have to drill down on what's going on inside, uh, you know, E-Systems and Raytheon and Lockheed Martin and the Skunk Works at, at Lockheed Martin and Northrop at Brumman, my uncle's old company, and in the really, really deep national security system, and what are the agendas. And that's what we try to, in an hour and 40 minutes, sort of piece together. And I think that it's really uh, hitting a nerve because, you know, with a very, very small uh, marketing budget and distributed by The Orchard, which is a digital film distribution, we almost immediately have hit and, and have stayed uh, number one on uh, iTunes, which is the biggest platform in the world for uh, new digital movies, et cetera, and so on. For, let me just uh, documentaries. let me jump in and remind listeners, Dr. Stephen Greer is with us, and uh, his new documentary, Unacknowledged, uh, will make its Canadian premiere on June the 24th at the Alien Cosmic Expo at the Crown Plaza Hotel at the airport here in Toronto, June 24th. Yeah, and actually, you know, I'm going to do something there that I've never done before, and after the showing of the film, uh, unacknowledged. I'm going to do a question and answer period specifically about the content of the film for the audience. So uh, I've never done that. It, it's going to be a new thing for me to do, and I'm looking forward to doing it in Toronto and, and in Canada, where there are a lot of very thoughtful and intelligent people. All right, uh, Victor, I'm going to throw it over to you. We have, time is tight, but let's uh, work That's in right. one more question here. What I what I see unacknowledged is. Um, is serving to do, Steve, is open a trap door to um, allow the real information or the most authentic information possible to come through so the general public can actually understand what's going on and dissolve the effect of the composite um, complicity uh, of government and the military-industrial complex on this. If we can erase that, uh, how do you see that happening in terms of how you want to continue to, um, you know, put forward unacknowledged as sort of a, a clarity seeker or producing some sort of clarity to eliminate the possibility of government uh, takeover of this issue? Well, I think that's the whole point. I, you know, after, after we, you know, made this information and, and recommended that there be an official disclosure within the highest reaches of governments around the world during the 1990s, that's why I founded the, the public disclosure movement in 2001, is that I concluded it needed to be done by we the people that the folks who are in the center of power would never take this on properly, and if they tried to, they'd be co-opted uh, or worse. And so it, it was made very clear to me that that was the dynamic. And this is why I think the ball is squarely in the court of the public. And so the way that that happens, now that we have something called the Internet, people need to let other people know about the content and about this film. There's also uh, a book by the same name, Unacknowledged, that you can get at least throughout the United States. It's just now making its way in other countries. But it is the number four move of book right now by Ingram, which is the big distributor that supplies Barnes and & Nobles and, and uh, Amazon as for nonfiction. And the book has about ten times more information than the movie. So I know it's a little hard to get it in Canada right now, but, but people need to know that the book is, is actually more extensive uh, and goes into further and deeper detail and documentation of, of these points. So the way to do it is to let people know this exists, and that's, that's why I left my medical career to, to put together the best and most credible information and get it out there. And there's another part of this. I mean, another part I'll be doing at the conference is, is talking about, and we don't have much time to go into this, but the Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind Initiative, where citizen diplomats 
uh, attempt to make contact with these civilizations bypassing the government. So instead of sitting in your, your home looking at YouTube, go out and do these uh, protocols, which I'll be sharing with people at a workshop on the Sunday of that conference in Toronto. I think it's very important for people to understand that this is where we have to come together as an activist community and make, you know, really three major things happen. Disclosure, the bringing out of these technologies that will fix the, the Earth's environmental and poverty problems in one generation easily, and also the building the relationship between human civilization and these extraterrestrial civilizations in a way that averts the pitfalls of the xenophobia and fear-mongering that is the stock and trade of the subject. And I think that, that those three objectives are really what we're, we're about. All right. Again, the documentary is Unacknowledged, Dr. Stephen Greer, and it will make its Canadian debut on June the 24th, part of the Alien Cosmic Expo. But after the screening of the movie, Dr. Greer will stick around, and this is a rare opportunity. Never done this before. He's going to do a Q&A on the documentary. Uh, Dr. Stephen Greer, thank you for this. Thank you. It's great speaking with you again. Likewise. Uh, Victor Vigiani, thank you again, my friend. Always a pleasure. Albert, thank you. Young Will Power, Ryan White, thank you all. Back next week with a brand new program. Hope you'll be along for the ride. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.